Welcome to the Prayer Mentor Podcast, where we are empowering Christian leaders to pray for the harvest. We pray your prayer life will be deepened by this podcast. For the past few weeks, we've been talking about listening for God's voice. We talked about listening to God's heart through journaling. We talked about listening to God's voice through His Word. And then we talked about listening to God's voice through a 24-hour period of silence. And you may have um, tried some of the uh, tools that I've suggested, whether it's journaling or it's the Word Watch or even the 24-hour silent retreat. And you walked away disappointed because you didn't hear God's voice. And what I want to suggest to you is that there are three barriers to hearing God's voice. And possibly one of these barriers is an issue for you that needs to be dealt with in your life. I learned these three barriers from one of my mentors, a gentleman named John Regeer. In John's experience, as he helps people hear God's voice and the truth that God has for them, he's found that there's these three barriers. The first barrier is unforgiveness. The second barrier is pride. And the third barrier is occult activity, either intentionally or unintentionally. And we'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. So I want to dig in and talk with you about unforgiveness. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells the story, the parable of the unmerciful servant. In this parable, Jesus is talking about an unmerciful servant. There was a master who wanted to settle his debts. And so he calls one of his servants and he says, pay me what you owe me. And the servant didn't have the money. And so he pleaded for mercy. And the master responded um, by showing him mercy and forgiving the debt. The servant then went back to his home and looked over his accounts and he went to one of his servants and he said, give me what you owe me. And unlike uh, his master, this servant doesn't forgive the debts of his servant and he sends him to debtor's prison. So when the servants around this unmerciful servant sees what happens, they tell the master and the master comes back to him and he says, you wicked servant. And he sends him to prison to be tortured by the torturers. And as Jesus finishes telling this parable, he says, this is what will happen to everyone who does not forgive from their heart. This parable reveals how God feels about those who do not forgive a debt. It breaks relationship with God. It's interesting to note that in the Lord's prayer, in the middle of the prayer, it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And after the Lord's prayer, the only commentary that Jesus makes on the Lord's prayer is concerning forgiveness. He says, if you do not forgive those who have sinned against you, your heavenly father will not forgive you. I got to say to you, unforgiveness is big in God's eyes. So much so, that's the only commentary Jesus makes concerning the Lord's Prayer. He's talking about unforgiveness. And when we don't forgive, it breaks relationship with God. 
going back to the parable that Jesus taught. When the master, who is the representation of God himself, when he comes back to his unmerciful servant, he throws him into prison and he calls him wicked. When we don't forgive, it breaks our relationship with God. God and God alone has the prerogative to have wrath. We do not have that prerogative. And so, when we don't forgive, it breaks relationship with God and we can't hear his voice. He's not going to communicate with us. So what do we do? Well, number one, we need to forgive from our heart. Um, I have worked with particularly men who um, have forgiven someone, but when they forgive, they forgive for the offense and they forgive from their head, not from their heart. And the unforgiveness, um, well, let me just say, there's no breakthrough in their life to hear God as a result of that. Jesus says we need to forgive from the heart. And so I want to suggest to you, we've got to visit that inner core of our being, our heart, and the emotions that we are experiencing. When somebody has offended us, when somebody has hurt us or wounded us, we experience emotional pain. And so the very first thing we need to do is recognize the pain that person has caused us and to realize if we don't go to the emotional core of that pain, we will not truly forgive someone. That's what Neil Anderson says in his book, The Bondage Breakers, and the tool he uses to help people find freedom from unforgiveness. Um, he says, unless, well, in, to the degree that you visit the emotions of um, the pain that the person has caused you will be the degree that you truly forgive them. And so, um, what I suggest to people is you need to make a list of the emotions, the painful emotions that the person has caused you that you need to forgive. It's not a matter of just forgiving them from the head for the offense, but you've got to go to your heart. You've got to ask the Holy Spirit to give you insight into the emotional pain they have caused you. Once you've identified that, you need to forgive them. And I want to say that forgiveness is a choice. Um, it is not something we necessarily want to do. Um, it's not something necessarily we feel like doing, but it is a choice. It is a volitional choice that we make to forgive someone. When we forgive them, we choose to forgive them. What we do is we're letting them go and we're letting God have wrath. Um, what we want to do is hold on to them. We want to punish them, get even, um, hold them accountable for the way they hurt us. But forgiveness entails letting go. It's opening our hands and releasing them to God. Now, we're able to do that because we assume responsibility for the debt, for the emotional pain they've caused us and the consequences of their actions towards us. I learned this 
from John Regeer. Um, and it was just so insightful to me. Uh, it's not a matter of forgiving from my head for what they did, but I have to go to the core of my heart and the pain they've caused me, and I have to assume responsibility for that pain. Let me just say, all forgiveness um, means that someone assumes responsibility for the debt. In the parable that Jesus taught, when that master releases his servant and forgives the debt, it's not just gone. He had to assume the debt. Somebody always has to pay when there's an offense, when there's a wound. And what I'm suggesting to you that is that forgiveness is me assuming responsibility for that debt. And then um, I can release them. I can forgive them because I've assumed responsibility for it. So what do I do with that debt? Well, number four, we look to Jesus to heal the pain. And I want to suggest to you what I've learned from John Regeer and from others is that the pain comes from a lie that we've heard from the enemy about our character. Um, when we are wounded by someone else, the enemy whispers into our ear and speaks deception and speaks lies to us. And when we give agreement to that lie, we now have pain in our hearts. And there's this emotional pain that we experience. And so when we've identified the pain, we choose to let it go. We assume responsibility for that pain so that uh, we assume responsibility for the debt so that we can let them go. And God now is free to have wrath on them. Um, then we give that pain to Jesus and we let him comfort us. We let him speak truth to us to dispel the lies that have caused us so much pain. So <clears throat> when we can't hear God, uh, what I suggest to people is we need to ask God a question. Who do I need to forgive? And to my amazement, time and time again, probably 80% of the time when I'm working with people and helping them hear God's voice, the Lord reveals one, two, or, or more people that they need to forgive. And I take them through this process of identifying the emotional pain they've caused him, making a choice to letting them go and let God hold them accountable, assume responsibility for the debt, and then to look to Jesus to heal the pain. Unforgiveness breaks our relationship with God, and when we have unforgiveness, we cannot hear God's voice. The second thing that keeps us from hearing God's voice is that of pride. God gives grace to the humble, but he's opposed to the proud. And so when we are proud, it's as though God crosses his arms and he turns his back on us. Um, it breaks our relationship with God. I have a dear friend, Eric Herstrom, who wrote a book, Integrity, A Lost Art. And he had a great insight that there are prideful issues, there are prideful attitudes, and there are 
um, corresponding opposite humble attitudes to those prideful attitudes. And as I've meditated on his instruction on that, the Lord has given me the insight to realize there are seven different prideful issues that we face as believers, as followers of Jesus. If we are found to be proud in any of these seven areas, God stands opposed to us. He gives grace to the humble. He's opposed to the proud. The first prideful issue is that of control. In Matthew 20, verse 20 and 28, the disciples approach Jesus and they say, who's greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus reproves them and he says, the rulers of this age seek to lord over one another. But I say to you, he would be greatest in the kingdom, will be your servant. And so Jesus tells his followers that um, control is not what they're to be after. Rather, they are to take on a humble attitude and be servants towards one another. I have to confess to you that this is an issue of pride that I struggle with often. And in fact, I actually went to a recovery group to deal with my issues of prideful control. I was in a 12-step group and in those early days when I would introduce myself, I would say, hi, my name's Clyde. I am a compulsive controller and a perfectionist. For those of us who struggle with the prideful issue of control, we say in our hearts and to others, I'm in charge. You do what I say. And that does not please God and he's opposed to us when we seek to be in charge and to control the situation. What we need to do is renounce control and pursue a new humble attitude um, before God. It is a relinquishment of control to God. And we're asking the question to Jesus and to the Father, uh, how can I serve these you've entrusted to me, these that I'm responsible for? When we take on that attitude, now God will give us grace. The second prideful issue is that of boasting. And in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, uh, those who boast in their wisdom, their strength, their riches are reproved. And we need to take off this issue of boasting about ourselves before others. And we need to put on a new garment, a humble attitude, where we now only boast in the fact that we know the Lord who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness in our lives. The third prideful issue is that of the praise, seeking the praise of others. Uh, in Matthew 23, verse 7 and 12, Jesus makes reference to the Pharisees as they're walking in the marketplace. They love to hear the praise of men. And when we're seeking this prideful attitude of hearing the praise of men, God stands opposed to us. I have to confess to you that there have been times in the past where I've sought the praise of men. I'll be standing in the foyer at the church or the lobby, and I'm waiting for someone to come up and say, hey, 
you're the prayer guy, aren't you? Or I'm talking with someone and, and there's a friend of theirs right next to him and say, this is Clyde, this is the prayer guy. It even in the market, I'll be at the grocery store at the mall and somebody will say, hey, that's the prayer guy at our church. That does not please God. And when I am seeking the praise of men, God stands opposed to me. And so I have to repent. I have to turn away from this prideful attitude of seeking the praise of others. And I have to humble myself before God. I recognize that there is one master. That's Jesus Christ. And um, the people I associate with, we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. There's nothing superior about me. And I ask God to show me again, how do I serve those who are around me? I'm to be a servant. I'm not to be someone who um, seeks the praise of men. The fourth prideful issue is that of places of honor. Again, in Matthew 23, verses 5 through 12, we see, see the Pharisees seeking the place of honor at banquets and in gatherings. In this prideful attitude, we are saying in our hearts, I love the places of honor and to be greeted with respect. Um, <clears throat> this does not please God. And I got to tell you, I, I do international travel often and there are years because I'm traveling a lot that I'm platinum with American Airlines. And when you're platinum, you get at the front of the line. And uh, there are times I like being at the front of the line. Um, I like that place of honor that American Airlines has afforded to me. And yet, what God's Word says is that when I seek the places of honor, there is pride there and God is opposed to me. Again, we recognize that we're brothers. Um, they're the greatest among us or will be those who serve one another. And so I take on a new attitude. I renounce that this prideful attitude of seeking the places of honor, longing for the places of honor. And I take on a humble attitude of seeing that I need to serve those around me. And I sit in a lesser place, not seeking the praise of men or places of honor. The fifth prideful issue is that of entitlement. In Job uh, chapter 1 verse 21, Job has lost everything. He is a righteous man. He deserves God's blessing. But because of this interaction of the devil challenging Job before God and God giving him permission to take away all that Job has except his life, Job now finds himself in a place where he has nothing. And he responds and he says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. For those of us who are entitled, we feel as though we deserve what we have. We deserve the position we have, the things we have, the lifestyle we have. And uh, we feel like we are better than other people around us. We've earned what we have. And that is a prideful attitude. And when we take on that prideful attitude, 
God stands opposed to us. So what do we do? We recognize that we live within the grace of God. And like Job, we say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We know who the source of all the good things in our life, um, where it comes from. It's from God. It's not because of something we've done. And we take on this humble attitude. The um, sixth area of prideful issues is that of being self-consumed. Uh, when we're self-consumed, and we see this in Isaiah 61 verses uh, 2 through 3, what we're doing is we're living um, in our failures, our disappointments, our woundedness. We're consumed with it. We wear it as a badge. Um, it's kind of a hidden pride. You know, we think in terms of pride being something that's outward. We're boasting. We're in control. We're seeking the praise of men. Um, but for some of us, we are so self-consumed with our woundedness and our failures and our disappointments that there's just this self-consumption that we have. And it's just as prideful as uh, someone who's boasting. We're consumed with self. And what we see in Isaiah 61 verses 2 and 3, that God takes uh, the, the terrible things in our life and he makes them beautiful. Uh, he's a God of redemption. He's a God of healing. And he brings goodness to our lives. And so now we no longer look at uh, and where is a badge, our woundedness, and all the terrible things that have been done to us in the past, now in our humble attitude, we recognize that God has good things for us. He's a redeemer. He's a healer. And he will make us into oaks of righteousness through the work of Jesus on the cross and the redemptive work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The last uh, prideful issue is that of arrogance. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8 and 10, we see those who are arrogant, or we see a right attitude towards uh, arrogance. When we are arrogant, we're saying, I feel superior to others. I'm better than them. And I have to confess to you, Again, in my life, I've sat among believers and somebody is teaching something, something that I go around the world and teach on. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I know more about this than you, teacher. Um, why don't you ask me a question and let me teach you? That's just out and out arrogance. And that does not please God. He stands opposed to it. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Verse 8 through 10, we have Peter, not Peter, but the Apostle Paul talking about, by the grace of God, I am what I am, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. He recognizes that if there's anything that Paul has that would make him superior to others, it wasn't because of who Paul is or what he's done. It's because of the grace of God in his life. And this is the humble attitude we need to take on to ourselves to confront this arrogance 
um, this prideful attitude that keeps us separated from knowing the grace of God in our lives. We embrace that everything we have, everything we are, um, it is because of the grace of God in our lives. So if you're not hearing the voice of God as you listen, whether it's through journaling, it's through worship, it's in the Word, you go away for a 24-hour period of silence and God is silent, maybe you need to ask the Holy Spirit to show you, is there a prideful issue in your life? And to identify what are the prideful attitudes that you um, are, are holding on to in your life. Is it control? Is it boasting? Is it the seeking the praise of others? Seeking the places of honor? Is it entitlement? Is it being self-consumed with our woundedness and failures and disappointments? Is it arrogance? We're better than everyone else. We turn away from that and we take on the humble attitude. Um, and as you do that, God will give you grace and you will hear his voice once again. I was working with a pastor who couldn't hear God's voice and we went through several issues of pride and talked about them. And he discovered that he had a hidden pride of this self-consumedness. He was nursing disappointments and failure and woundedness in his life. It was like this aha that the Spirit gave him. And as he turned away from that and looked to the redemption of God and God's healing and his goodness in his life, God did this wonderful thing within his life where he heard the voice of God in a new way. And um, new and wonderful things happened within his church. So, you can't hear God's voice. The first thing I'd suggest you do is you ask God, who do I need to forgive? And if it is an issue of unforgiveness, he's going to bring to mind the names of people that you need to forgive. And I'm going to say to you, once you do that, you're going to hear in a refreshing way the voice of God. If you don't hear from the Lord any um, people that you need to forgive, the next question to ask is, Lord, is there an area of pride in my life that's keeping me from receiving your grace and hearing your voice? And Holy Spirit, what is that issue of pride that's in my life? The third barrier is that of participation in cult or occult practices. I've helped people uh, try to hear God's voice and when they say to me, I can't hear him and everything is black, what I've found is that oftentimes, either knowingly or unknowingly, they've participated in occult or an occult activities. I was working with a young woman and she couldn't hear God's voice and she said, it's just dark. And so we brought out a tool by my mentor, John Regeer. Um, and in this tool, there was an assessment where she was able to look through a number of occult activities. And as it turned out, 
She didn't pursue it intentionally, but she was at a slumber party, actually in a Christian home. And a bunch of girls wanting to have fun put a girl in a chair and four girls surrounded her and they held the chair with a finger and they made a chant, light as a feather, strong as a something. And they watched um, these, these girls lift with one finger apiece another girl in that chair. And what they had done was opened a door for a demonic being to empower them to lift up this girl. She was light as a feather. Well, um, this young lady renounced that activity and immediately she heard the voice of God. Now there are two, two tools that I want to suggest that you could use to assess um, if there's been participation intentionally or unintentionally in occult practices. The first tool is by Neil Anderson. It's called The Steps to Freedom. It's from his book, The Bondage Breakers. And in The Steps to Freedom, it's the first step, counterfeit versus real. The second tool is by um, John Regeer. It's in his works book called Biblical Concepts Counseling Workbook. And it's in chapter eight, resolving ground given to the enemy. And it's just a simple tool that people can use to evaluate uh, if they participated in any occult practices. And they mark it and there's warfare prayers to renounce those activities and to uh, realign themselves in obedience to Christ. Now this is what I want to say to you. In occult practices, we are seeking revelation or we're seeking power apart from God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's only through God's Word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit that we can have revelation, insight into what God is doing, and we can know true power. It's by the power of the Spirit and the power of God's Word. And so, if you can't hear God's voice, you may want to ask the question, is there unforgiveness in my heart? Is there pride in my heart? Have I participated knowingly or unknowingly um, in an occult practice? You address that and I, I want to suggest that you will hear the voice of God. God wants to reveal himself to you through the word of God, um, through the ministry of the Spirit. He will give you a song. He'll give you a verse of scripture. He'll give you a word picture. He'll give you a thought. And it always aligns with scripture. May the Lord bless you. And as you address um, these three issues, may you know the leading and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to find freedom from unforgiveness, from pride and occult practices. And now hear the voice of the Lord.